So let's begin to look into God's Word. Now, in years past, we've done studies of a particular book of the Bible, and we're going to get back into that uh, starting right now, this morning. Um, I've been seeking God. We had spent several months on the book of Acts, learning about the birthplace of the church, where Christians came from, what that message of Jesus was about, um, how it was applied to every group of people, depending on where their culture was and where they lived or whatever. And we saw the, the uh, excitement of the apostles as they went and they shared the gospel. That naturally leads into another study of the Word of God. And that is going to be 1 Corinthians. This year, we're going to look into 1 Corinthians. Now, the only place that most people even hear maybe the word Corinthian is if they're a student of architecture. Because there is a column called the Corinthian column. That's the Corinthian column right there. The fancy kind of column. You see it in, in, in Greece. You see it in Rome and different places. Um, and the Corinthians uh, became famous for their architecture. We're not going to study architecture. Don't worry. That's all you'll hear probably about the Corinthian column. But when you are at a courthouse or down in the federal, uh, federal buildings or anything, you'll see these, these columns. It will remind you uh, of Corinth. Now, in 2024, we're going to be hearing the word Corinthian every week. So you need to understand a little bit of the foundation so you're not just, you know, ignorant. We want to be Students of the word, we want to understand. And so we're going to dive into a sermon series that's built upon this great New Testament book. Now, as we look at our New Testament, i just give you a little background here this morning. As we look at the New Testament, we discovered that there are several books of the Bible that are named after great cities. And that is because the early church was brought to those cities by the apostles. So this is why it fits in really well after our study on the book of Acts to realize that all those places that Paul and Silas and and, and Barnabas and Philip, all those people went to and they shared the gospel, some people caught the gospel. They understood it. They began to apply it to their lives. And so a church was born in those cities. The apostles were faithful to carry the gospel there, but the believers in those cities We're faithful to keep the gospel growing and to keep sharing it and to keep learning about Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, the book of Romans was a church in a city of Rome, just as the book of Corinthians is for the city of Corinth. Galatians is for Galatia. Ephesians is for Ephesus. Thessalonians is for Thessalonica. So each of these books that we have built into our New Testament scriptures is the name of a city. It would be similar to us if we said New York, London, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Tokyo, right? So these books were written specifically for the people living in those places. So it is important for us to, at the very beginning here, understand a little bit about that place because God is speaking specifically to the people who lived in that place. But he also now, by the Spirit, is speaking to us. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we begin to learn from God's Word in such a way that we are changed by it, that it transforms us, that it makes us more followers of Jesus than we were last year, that we're understanding better how to apply his Word 
and to live it out in our lives. And so just as like those concert t-shirts, you ever been behind somebody at the the grocery store or in line somewhere, and in front of you, there's a concert t-shirt, and it has all these cities and dates, right? We'll say like Philadelphia, you know, in June, and then, you know, um, Boston in, in July and that type of thing. This is what the New Testament is here with these, with these cities. It's talking about how the gospel needed to be understood by the people who lived there and after the visits of the apostles. Now, these are written by the apostle Paul himself. He visited these places. He brought Christ and the message of Jesus to these places. So Corinth was located about 40 miles west of Athens. You might know where Athens is in Greece, but you might not know where Corinth is. So it's about 40 miles from the capital, from Athens. And it was a wealthy seaport, which was extremely diverse because businessmen and women from all over the world were meeting there to do their business. It was like a a capital uh, for for business, a place where a lot was exchanged. And there were people from all over the known world They're doing business, exchanging their products, getting their money. Corinth was unapologetically in love with things. They loved money. They loved profit. They loved to make money. And they also, with their money, were in love with pleasure. Two things that they were in love with, money and pleasure. It was full of people who wanted to make a lot of money and then have a lot of fun. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Make a lot of money, have a lot of fun. It sounds like the American dream. It sounds very much like the culture that we're living in today. If you watch any commercials or anything like that, you'll see that there are people there who are just driven by pleasure, driven by getting more money. And Americans have given up maybe worshiping at shrines dedicated to these things, but they still worship these things. We love money, materialism. And we love pleasure, which is called hedonism. And it's very difficult for a church dedicated to Jesus Christ to start and to grow in a culture like that. It's difficult to share the gospel with people who are just interested in how much money they have and how much fun they can have. Now, God isn't against fun, and he also uses money for his kingdom purposes, but I need you to understand that what Paul was doing here was keeping touch with the believers in Corinth so that he would be able to help them because he was deeply concerned for them. He, was, he loved them, for one thing. We'll see in this book how much he loved them. So he's not coming down hard on them because he doesn't like them. He loves them very much, and he wants them to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. He wants their witness to be powerful in their city. But these, these love of money and these love of pleasure ideas were having an effect on the body of Christ. And because he loved them so deeply, he sent them these letters. Because there's a 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In fact, many people believe there was a, another letter before 1 Corinthians that we don't have enough of, we don't have enough evidence of to have it as part of our scriptures. Because you'll notice when he's talking in many of these passages, he's answering a question. He's, he's responding to something that's happened before. And if this was the first letter he ever wrote there, there wouldn't be anything to respond to. So some kind of communication was going back and forth already with these people who he dearly loved. The reason for the letter of 1 Corinthians is that Paul had received some bad news 
about what was happening in the church. And he wanted to help them. He didn't just want to get mad at them about that, their misbehaving. He didn't just want to punish them. He wanted to help them. He wanted them to be able to have access to change. And he was aware that there was incredible pressure on them in that ungodly society and how much that pressure was affecting them even as believers in Jesus Christ. It wasn't just affecting them as individuals. It was affecting the whole church. You see, God is a rescuer. And God desires to rescue us when we need help. He doesn't just judge us when we need help. Like, oh, you failed again, loser. You know, he's not like that. He sees us in our failure, and then he comes to aid. He comes to bring us help. And that's what he's using the Apostle Paul in this letter to do. He sees the trouble that is there among them and the hurt that they're causing one another and the hurt that they're under, and he wants to help. So you have to understand the nature of God as you read his word. See, he wants the church to live and not die in that culture. He doesn't want the church that Paul went there and brought the gospel and helped them to start growing. He doesn't want them to end up in the graveyard. He wants them to live and to be prosperous. This is why God wants us to live, because he is a living God. He's not a dead God. He's not something that you know, we worship a statue of or anything like that. He's a living God. And so as God goes to rescue his church, he brings a message of life. One day I was walking uh, in local cemetery because I walk there sometimes and pray and, and that type of thing. And I walked by this particular gravestone and it looked like this. And I stopped in my tracks. Can you read the letters on there? I was like, uh-oh, don't tell me the church died. No one told me. I missed the funeral, right? All kidding aside, I did stop and think, wow, we, be, we need to be careful of that. We need to make sure the church doesn't die because God is a God of life, and Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly. And this world would love to kill us off. All the sin and all the destruction and all the garbage that's going on would love to kill our souls. But Jesus has come to save our souls, to rescue us from ourselves and from sin. And he still wants to breathe life into the church. So this is why I'm excited about studying 1 Corinthians together for this year, because I believe that he's going to breathe life into us. The areas where we feel like we're, we're, we're struggling, the areas where we're having difficulty, the areas where sin is creeping in, he wants to breathe life and wash those areas clean and help us to take a deep breath and be refreshed in him so that we can continue to be a healthy church. See, we decided to study the, the, the book of Corinthians this year because I believe that God wants Holden Chapel to be healthy, to be alive, and to make a difference in our city, in our region, in our area. And so this is why we called this particular sermon series, series, 1 Corinthians, a prescription for spiritual health. Because in it, we will find out what is most relevant for us, for the church today. Because there's several things that go on in this book that are also going on even today. And you say, how can that happen? This is over 2,000 years ago. Well, man is still man. We're the same as we were back then. It may be more modernized. It may look a little bit different with technology, but we're the same in our hearts. 
We desperately need a Savior. So in it, we will find out answers to some questions. The questions that are being asked and the problems that they're being faced there in Corinth are similar to ours. They may not be the exact same, but they're similar enough that we can learn from the principles that Paul lays out here for us. See, not much has changed. We still desperately need God and his life to be breathed into us. Paul addresses things in this book that will help us to establish a healthy church life, a healthy spiritual life, a healthy church community where people are relating to each other as God intended us to, not according to our sin nature. So when you're not feeling good and you really haven't felt good for a while, you make an appointment with your doctor or you go to urgent care, right? He takes a good look at you or she takes a good look at you. They ask you some questions so they can figure out what your symptoms are. And then they prescribe a way for you to recover your health. Otherwise, you wouldn't go to them. If you told them all your symptoms and you were hacking and coughing and you're half dead in their office and they were just like, oh, you poor thing. Have a nice day. Why would you spend your time with them, right? They should show some compassion, you poor thing, but then say, here's some things you can do to get better. So sometimes they send you to physical therapy. Sometimes they give you some medication. Sometimes they tell you to change your diet. You never listen to that. But there's a lot of things that they tell you to do. They prescribe for you some changes, some things you can do, which will make you a healthier person. Now, health ultimately comes from God, but we can cooperate, right? We can eat a dozen donuts every morning and put 10 sugars in our coffee, or we can go for a run and have a piece of celery for breakfast, right? You you can choose. You decide how you want to live. Well, we're kind of given that option here. As we read 1 Corinthians, I want you to realize you have a lot of control over your spiritual health. We can't blame it on anybody else. A lot of times we like to blame the devil, or we like to blame the world, and they're out there, and they're active, but you have ultimate choice as to how you will deal with the problems and the pressures of this life. And as you cry out to God, he gives you the inspiration and the help that you need to make it through the most difficult problems. You see, there's a way for us to be spiritually healthy. Do you believe that? There's a way for us to be spiritually healthy. Do you believe that? Okay, sorry. All right. So, so if you believe that, that's good. Good, because that, that's half the battle right there. There's a way for us, and the Lord will lead us in that. And in his word, we will find his prescriptions for health. You see, in this book, he addresses some disturbing and unhealthy behavior, such as divisions and fights in the church, hanging on to sinful habits, trying to make them okay with God, even though God has said they're not okay. Members are actually suing each other, bringing, themselves, bringing each other to court. There's problems with sexual purity. There's a case of incest even. And there's a quarreling spirit. There's a fighting among themselves. And Paul addresses marriage. He addresses divorce. He addresses spiritual gifts. He addresses, he addresses the resurrection, not just Christ's resurrection, but ours as well. He talks about all of these spicy things here in this one book. But I think that you'll find it very helpful because like our society today, 
Corinth is a totally sexual, permissive culture. Anything goes in Corinth, and I mean anything. And that is true of the culture that we are in as well. We're in a very tolerant culture. You tolerate everything. No matter what anyone wants to do or say, it needs to be tolerated in our culture. So the confusion over sexual issues within the church is making it difficult for believers to remain faithful to God's word and what God's word teaches about sex. And I know I'm saying that word a lot here today, but the kids have left the room already. This confusion also about spiritual gifts. And so Paul has to take a lot of, a lot of his time and try to clarify how spiritual gifts should be used within the church to help the church to grow and to remain healthy. He's trying to help, with God's inspiration, the church to live as a community of life and of health in the midst of a difficult culture. It helps the believers to understand when God speaks into their life. It helps them to understand, number one, that they're loved. Number one, that they're seen, that God sees them in the struggle that they're having. And also that God has a solution to the problems. Sometimes we just live with problems. We just get used to them. And we say, well, that's the way it is. That's the way people are. And that's not what God's best is for us. So in 1 Corinthians, we'll learn some things about, about how to get along with our spouse, even if your spouse is not a believer in Jesus Christ. We'll learn some things about how to get along with each other, even if you're fighting and you can't come to agreement. Those things are all buried in this beautiful book. 1 Corinthians was written to the church when Paul because Paul had visited them back in the book of Acts. And I want to sort of end here and wrap up here. I'm going to read you this section. Hopefully some of you who were here when we studied Acts will remember this. But in Acts chapter 18, after Paul had left Athens, remember Athens is is about 40 miles to the east of Corinth. It says, after he left that in Acts 18, he went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, they were tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and he worked with them. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Persuade them to what? To know Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his clothes and he, and he told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will be going to the Gentiles. So he left there, the synagogue, and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. Remember that house was just across from the synagogue when we studied that passage? And Titus Justus was a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of that synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. And many of those Corinthians, when they heard and believed and were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized. So we're going to celebrate baptism here this morning. 
Because when you have heard the good news, when you believe that that good news is for you, you should respond in obedience to baptism. You should let others know. And so those who are going to be here with us this morning sharing their testimony or letting us know that they believe in Jesus Christ are following in the footsteps of all Christians throughout the ages. And we're excited about that. You see, Paul wants believers to focus on Jesus, not on problems, but on Jesus himself. And that's what we're here to do and encourage each other to do, to focus in on the grace of God even when we fail, to focus in on his mercy when we need to extend that to other people. See, Jesus is the center of everything. He's the center of it all. When, when Paul began to speak in 1 Corinthians 2, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, he said this, when I came to you, when I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or with wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Two most important things, to know Jesus Christ, that he's real, that he's alive, that he died for our sins, to know that he's crucified so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins. Paul boiled it all down to this essence, to know Jesus Christ and to know him crucified. That's what's important for you and for me. That's what's important to these three people who are going to be baptized here this morning. We want all who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him in obedience and to receive the blessing of of the church and of our fellowship with them. 